Well, good morning. Woo! <laughs> if you weren't awake, now you are now. Good morning. It is great to be back with you guys. The, my name is Rick Kramer. For those of you that have not been around here a long time, you may not remember me. Um, those of you that are old timers, I'm not saying that to say you're old, just you've been here a while. Um, I started coming here, wow, it's got to be almost 10 years ago now, it seems like. Um, before Pastor Dave was here, uh, while you were in the process of, of transitioning to a new pastor, um, I had the opportunity to come speak several times. And then um, I feel like for a while I was kind of the designated holiday pastor. Whenever there was, a, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, something came up. Um, and in fact, uh, you guys are, are um, very special in my family's uh, heart. Um, I've probably spent I've probably preached at 100 different churches over the years. Um, you guys are the only ones that gave uh, my family uh, a fruit basket. Uh, there was one time that uh, brought my wife and my daughters with me, and you guys blessed us with that. And um, that's something that my kids still talk about. I mean, this was, you know, that was probably five or six years ago. Um, those of you, again, that have been around a long time, you may remember that uh, uh, when I first started coming up here, I was part of Davis College. Um, I'm no longer there. Uh, Davis College is going through some pretty serious struggles. Um, they are in the process of transitioning and hopefully reconstituting um, up at Word of Life, if you guys are familiar with Word of Life up at Screen Lake. Um, so for the last two years, I, I transitioned from uh, being at Davis College to going back to my home church. It's a church that I've been involved in for 10 plus years, um, had the opportunity to preach there many times over those years. But for the last two years, I've been officially on staff there. And this series uh, was actually something that we went through at our church at Berean um, a, few, a few months ago. And so um, this morning, I want to draw your attention to this idea of relationships. You know, um, it, we live in a world that has, we have so much connection digitally, right? I mean, how many of you have Facebook? Okay. How many of you have Twitter? Start, start narrowing it down a little bit, right? Uh, how many have Instagram? Okay. Um, how many have TikTok? No, that's all right. We'll skip that one. But, you know, we have a very, we're very digitally connected. But the fact is, it's challenging to have relationships, real, genuine relationships. And so we did a, a six-week series that we called circles. And really, the, if there was one key phrase that, that covered the whole six-week series, it was this, circles are better than rows. Now, that's not to say that what we do on a Sunday morning is bad, but we really, the, the challenge is that we need to have relationships with one another outside of just Sunday morning. And so, um, I know you guys call your small group ministry community groups, right? We call ours connect groups. Um, but we really spent six weeks talking about the importance of those types of groups and the relationships that we can develop. To, to set up where I'm going today, I want to go back and just cover with you the message previously. So before this message, we looked at some things that were friendship killers. You know, we, have, we develop relationships, we connect with people, but then over time, these five things can really kill a relationship. And sometimes they're very unintentional, but sometimes we allow busyness, 
Uh, sometimes we allow loose lips. We, we, we start sharing things with other people that, you know, we shouldn't. You know, things that, um, you know, it's a prayer request, <laughs> right? But we're telling people things that we really shouldn't be sharing. Um, our own insecurities, anger, bitterness, selfishness, these are all things that are friendship killers. But this morning, I want to look at something that is a relationship non-starter. This stops relationships before they can even start, before we can even make that initial connection and start to develop a relationship, this can absolutely bring it to a halt. What I want to share with you this morning is about prejudice. If you would join me in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, those page numbers that just showed up there don't apply to you. That's our three campuses. But I want to talk to you about prejudice. Let me give you some statistics. A recent NBC poll said that 87% of blacks in America and 81% of Hispanics in America say that prejudice is a major problem in our country, racism. But yet there's another poll, a U government poll, that said 56% of whites believe that racism is not really a problem at all. We have a controversy. In fact, I would argue that this controversy uh, has a, 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 could have a very devastating effect on our democracy. And the problem is it affects our churches as well. So here's, here's the challenge. This morning, we're looking at a very controversial topic. If we could, just for a moment, let's have a word of prayer uh, to pray that what I have to say for you is not my opinions, not, not my ideas, but what God's word says, and that God prepares your hearts for this, okay? Let's, let's bow and close your eyes. Our gracious God, we come before you this morning. We love you. We want to serve you. Uh, God, we want to know what your word says about relationships, and we want to be able to build the kind of relationships that honor and please you. God, I just pray this morning that, that what I say is not just my opinion and my ideas, but it's your word. And I pray that you will prepare each heart for this as we look at your word this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we, we look at this idea of prejudice, here's, here's the challenge. In fact, I've already kind of started down this path with you. The challenge is that when we hear that word prejudice, we often make it synonymous with racism. But I believe when we look at this word prejudice, it's really far more, it's much more than racism. I would say racism falls under a larger umbrella of what we call prejudice. And let me give you an example of this. Because when we talk about this word prejudice, to simply break it down, I mean, it literally is to prejudge. It's to make an opinion before we have facts or information. Let me give you some other, some, some other statistics. So it's said that in interviews, job interviews, sometimes they, they can take 30 minutes, 45 minutes, but... but Human resource uh, professionals say that often it's six minutes. It's the first six minutes of making that first impression that determines whether you're going to get hired or not. Another example of this would be in business um, engagement, in, in, in introducing or meeting a new client or, or, or making a networking connection. It's often said that within the first 
60 seconds, somebody's already forming opinion. Is this, is this somebody I can trust? Is this somebody that is an expert in the field? Is this somebody that I can work with? And here's a really crazy one. So they're neuroscientists, studied brain patterns, and looking at images as people look at a picture. And they say that, that our mind is already beginning to form opinions in 50 milliseconds as soon as we see a picture. Right, so we have, this, we have this hardwired design. We have this cultural influence. We have all these things that affect us, and we make pre-judgments. But here's why I say that it's far more than just you know, what we see in, in, in racism, right? So here's a great example, right? We look at things, and we see things, and we determine based on outward appearance. So if you saw this lady, you know, drinking from this Hershey bottle, after just finishing out a workout, you'd probably think, wow, that's kind of weird, right? But she was actually using it as her water bottle, right? We make assumptions. We, we see things, and we make assumptions, so as we talk about this idea of prejudice, it's really, it's far more than just racism. Let me, let me give you some different examples. We, we can prejudge people based on what we perceive their status to be. Does the person appear to be wealthy? Do they appear to be poor? What, uh, what type of car do they drive? Wait, we, start, we start making opinions and formulating ideas based on those things. People's body language, their, their ethnicity, their, their education. How, how about their expressions? You can tell what part of country the person is from when they say things like anywho, right? Or you guys are kind of right on that border of soda or pop, right? Which is it? See, I, I I'm already hearing two different answers, right? But sometimes we make assumptions. Um, how about when you, you hear somebody from down south? How y'all doing? Right? Y'all is singular. When it's all y'all, it's plural, right? If you hear somebody from down south, then you start making assumptions. Well, guess what? You know what? They do the same thing when we're down there. Right? They hear, that's right. Sure enough, they, they, they hear us and they go, oh, there's a the Yankee, right? And then you say something stupid, right? And they go, bless your heart, right? We can tell, we, can, we, we make generalizations, though. We, we assume things about people. How about preferences? Let me give you an example of this. Let me share a story with you about a young man named Norman. So Norman was this really brilliant engineering student. And Norman was going to a university, a large university, and one Sunday morning he decided he was going to go to church. And so Norman went out and went to the closest church, university church nearby. And when Norman got there, it was a special Sunday. There was something going on because it was a packed house. But here's the thing about this church. Everybody was in suit and ties, their best Sunday dress. It was very formal, very upper middle class, upper class church. But here's Norman, this college student. He has long, straggly hair. He has a really funky t-shirt on. He has dirty, holy jeans. And he's barefoot. And in walks Norman into this church. And now Norman comes in, and, 
and he looks around and and he can't find a seat. And so Norman starts making his way up the center aisle, walking right towards the preacher. And as he's coming up the center aisle, everyone in that church is looking at Norman. And they are wondering, what in the world is he doing here? And Norman makes his way all the way up front. And he gets up here, and there's no seats available. So guess what Norman does? Sits on the floor, just right there in front of everyone. Let me give you another example. What if a couple came to your community group that you had never met before? They're Middle Eastern looking, perhaps even Muslim. They're very poorly dressed. In fact, maybe they smell. They don't speak English. But yet somehow, some way, they show up at your community group. How do you respond to that? Now listen, I know how we would think we want to believe that we would respond, but really, how would we respond to that? So this morning, I want to show you some examples of this from God's Word. If you would, we're looking at Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 9. But let me just set up the story here a little bit. Just before this, there's this Roman centurion. He's a very powerful Roman soldier, has a vision from God. And he says, God basically tells him, go find this guy named Peter. Well, at the same time, God intervenes in Peter's life and gives Peter this vision. And we see here in verse 9, it says this, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time and said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. So here's, here's the apostle Peter, and Peter, although he had been with Christ, although he had been part of Pentecost, he's this early leader of the early church, Jesus' followers, Peter is still holding on to his Jewish law and traditions. And so God, in a very powerful way, is saying to Peter, you know what? You've got to get over that. You've got to get past that. Because I'm bringing Gentiles into my kingdom. And now if you know anything about the culture of that day, in the Jewish mind there was a dichotomy. You were either a Jew or it was everyone else. Right? You were God's chosen people as the nation of Israel, or you were a Gentile. But now God's challenging Peter's thinking on this. In fact, what we see here is that prejudice is a result of pride. In fact, I would encourage you this morning to jot some notes down. We've got these in the, the bulletin here with some blanks. And I would encourage you to jot these down and, and be able to go back in Scripture and search these things on your own. But as we look at this example, we see prejudice 
is a result of pride. You see, here's, here's how the story continued to develop. So Cornelius, this Roman centurion, he's out looking for Peter. Peter's getting this revelation from God to straighten his thinking out. And so they get together and look what happens further down in the passage. In verse 17, Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, and the men sent from Cornelius found out where Simon's Peter's house was and stopped at the gate. And they called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Again, man, God is stretching Peter right here. He's telling them, I want you to go with these Roman centurions and his, his people, right? and Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men gave them the story of how their, their boss, Cornelius, had seen this vision. And so here, as, as you follow the story along, Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He, he ends up staying with them. He ends up spending time with them. He ends up sharing the gospel with them. And, and look what he says. When, when he starts the conversation, he says in verse 26, Peter made him get up and said, Stand up for I am only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large group gathered. And he said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. And then I love Peter's question. May I ask why you sent for me? And then they go and, and, and say, we had this revelation from God to, to seek you out. And so he then goes in and shares the gospel in this whole household. Cornelius, this powerful, rich ruler, a powerful soldier, very influential. All of his household, all the people that are associated with him, they all become Jesus followers. Because Peter was able to overcome his pride and his prejudice. See, here's the truth that we can see from this passage. The application for us is this. We need to see people through God's eyes. How does God see them? Not how we prejudge, not how we assume, but how God sees them. 1 Samuel 16.7 says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And as we interact with people that may be very different from us, we've got to recognize that that person was made in the image of God, just like I was. That person is a precious soul in the sight of God, just like I am. That person is a sinful creature, just like I am. And although we may speak differently, we may look differently, we may live differently, God sees us as a precious soul in need of a Savior. Seeing people through God's eyes. But then there's a, an, another, another thing that leads to prejudice. If you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Because 
the story doesn't end with Peter there. In Galatians chapter 2, we see something change when it comes to Peter. And now depending on your translation, uh, some translations have the word Cephas, others have Peter. Um, if you remember back when Jesus had that uh, uh, discussion with Peter as far as that uh, upon this church or upon this rock, I will build my church. And, and he has, Jesus has this whole little play on words on as far as Peter, stone, Cephas, rock. And, and, and so this name is it's interchangeable. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. So when Peter came to Antioch, I, being the apostle Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Can, can you picture this? I mean, we're talking about two great leaders of the, of the founding of the church. And there is this conflict taking place. For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid. Peter was afraid. And I would say that this is the, the next thing that we have to recognize, that prejudice not only becomes, comes from pride as a result of pride, but it's a result of fear. You see, Peter was giving in to peer pressure. Peter was eating with the Gentiles, but when those that came with James came and, and, and started saying, Peter, what are you doing eating with those Gentiles? Peter kind of stepped back and said, okay, I don't want to rock the boat here. I'll, I'll separate myself from them, even though I don't believe I need to. I'll do it because I'm fearful of your response. I'm fearful of what you think of me. Which brings us to another application. You see, we not only need to see people, we not only see others through God's eyes, but sometimes we have to take a step back and see ourselves through God's eyes. Because here's what happens. You not only do we make prejudgments about other people, but we make prejudgments about what other people are making prejudgments about us. Am I right? Do you know what I'm talking about? We, we assume what other people are thinking about us. And we don't recognize that we ourselves are a precious soul in the sight of God. That we ourselves are an image bearer. That we were created by God for a purpose. And so sometimes we can allow prejudice to affect our thinking just based on what other people are thinking. Or we think they're thinking. Right? It's, it's assuming. Now, you know the old adage about assume, right? I mean, you're not going to make me say it, are you? Right? I mean, it makes a biblical donkey out of you and me. All right? That's what assuming does. But yet we do that so often. And, and the truth is that we, we've got to recognize that God has designed us to have relationships with one another. And we can't put up these barriers, these non-starters, by making assumptions of what other people think about us, as well as us making assumptions or prejudging about them. Because we're not even allowing that relationship to start. 
So this morning, I want to give you some very practical things that we can, we can, statements that we can say to one another that will help us with this idea of overcoming prejudice. So again, I would encourage you to jot these down in your bulletin. We've got some blanks there, and we're going to go through, go through these very, very quickly. But if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And actually, the passage is all, um, all there for you in the NIV, in the bulletin, if you want to, just want to use that. But we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to look at verses 22 through 26. And now, understand who the Apostle Paul's writing to here, right? The first, the, the, the church in Corinth, listen, this was a messed up church. There was a lot of crazy things going on at that church. But the Apostle Paul's talking to them, and he's giving them this, this analogy of the body. And he's saying, as believers, we are the body of Christ. And so, what does it look like when each part works properly versus when different parts of the body are working improperly? And so he goes through this. And, and I want to share with you these statements, seven statements. This is from a book called Gracism, The Art of Inclusion. And now, I know you look at that title and you go, okay, this book is about racism. It's not about prejudice. But I think these principles apply to the broader picture. I had the opportunity to get to know Dr. Anderson. Um, he is the pastor of a, a large church down in Columbia, Maryland. I had an opportunity to preach to their youth on several occasions, and it is a phenomenal multicultural church. But there's this one story that uh, David Anderson shared when he came to speak in chapel a couple times at Davis that is in his book. I'm, I'm so glad that he included it in his book because it gives you an insight of what he's talking about. So David Anderson, here's this, he's this pastor of this church of about 5,000 people. He was traveling to another city to speak at a Bible conference. And while he was there, he was pulled over by the police. Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in one day. Because he was a black man driving a nice rental car in a nice neighborhood. You see, he, he understands racism. But his response is, it should be grace. We should extend grace to one another. And so these principles apply not just to racism, but prejudice as a whole. As we see people that are different from us, that think differently from us, that do things differently from us, they sound different than us. If we're able to extend grace to them, then we're able to overcome that hurdle of prejudice. And so these are seven statements that, that, will, that you'll see as you go through this passage very quickly. In verse 23, it talks about that there are parts that are less honorable, but we treat them with special honor. To say to somebody, I will lift you up. You know, if we're dealing with somebody that's very different from us, it's really hard to be prejudiced when you, when, you can, when you say to them, I will lift you up. What, what, if, what if somebody, when, when Norman came in, had, had said, you know what, I'm going to treat him with special honor. I'm going I'm to give up my seat. I know this is the seat. I've been in the same seat every Sunday for the last 20 years. This is my family's 
you know, row of seats. This is my family's pew. When I die, they're going to put a plaque on that chair. That's how often I've sat in that chair. But I'm going to get up and I'm going to give him special honor. Or, or the next one, I will cover you. Verse 23 talks about that there are parts that are unpresentable and are treated with special modesty. Now that's a word you don't hear a lot in our society today, right? Modesty. Well, listen, there's parts of the body that shouldn't be shown, right? And I know this sounds like a weird phrase, like I will cover you, but it really it, it has this idea of I'm not going to go around exposing your sin. I'm not going to start publicizing to everybody what, what I know that you've done. You know, one of the interesting things we do in our connect groups is as a group, as a group is formed, we literally make them sign an agreement of confidentiality. What's said here stays here. Now, that's not to say that we don't confront sin. It's not to say that we're not concerned about sin. But we're not going to publicly crucify somebody for a challenge that they're going through. Right? We want to deal with that. We want to help them. We want to encourage them. I will cover you. Let's keep going. In verse 24, it says, no special treatment. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how... Uh, how long you've been at the church, what position you hold at the church. Verse 24, it talks about that uh, God, our presentable parts, need no special treatment. God's given, God's put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lack it. I will share with you. It doesn't matter how long you've been here, what position you hold. I will share with you. I think James chapter too, is a great example of that as well. How about this? Verse 24, the, the, later on in that verse, it talks about giving greater honor to the parts that lack it. I will honor you. You know, it's very easy, especially in our church circles, to overlook the people that do the behind-the-scene things. You know, the, the people running the sound and, and, and the PowerPoint and all that kind of stuff. Man, they, you know, they, they had... They had some struggles this morning, but they pulled it together. But, but, you know, sometimes they work behind the scenes, right? There's people that clean the church. There's people that do things that aren't necessarily very public. They're not up here on the stage leading, singing, teaching. But they all play a very important role. There's people in our community that we need to recognize and, and, and give honor to, to thank them for their service and what they do. I will honor you. Just a couple more. Verse 25. The body of Christ, there should be no division in the body, but the parts have equal concern for each other. No division. And if there's a, an issue in our churches today, across America, it is this issue of unity. You know, we have churches that, that still are fighting over silly things like music. And, and I can tell you I've seen a number of churches that have literally allowed things like that to destroy them. Or I've seen churches, large churches, that they, they divide and, and do two separate services. So they've got to have one traditional service and one contemporary service. And what happens is they create two separate churches. They can call themselves whatever they want. 
but they've created two separate bodies of Christ. I will stand with you. No division. How about this one in verse 25 where it talks about that the parts should have equal concern for each other. I will consider you. Sometimes it's very easy to consider those people that have been considerate to us. To love people that love us. But how about loving people that are not easy to love? I will consider you. And then the last one is this. I will celebrate with you. Verse 26, it talks about if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Something that we do at our three campuses every week is we celebrate people that have gone through the growth process. It's just a, a mentoring program that we have to take people through, looking at their, their faith in Christ, how they share their faith, and what their role is in the church. Celebrate. Listen, it's really hard to be upset with somebody, to have prejudice towards somebody, to dislike somebody when you're celebrating with them, right? It's celebrating for them. Listen, I love the Houston Astros. But if the Washington Nationals win the World Series, I'm going to still celebrate with them, okay? Now, I know, I know it's really hard for some of you to celebrate with Pastor Dave when the Patriots win. <laughs> but I will celebrate with you, right? I'll, I'll overcome those differences. You see, grace, extending grace to those that are different from us. Those that look different, that sound different, that think differently than us. Those that maybe have different theological opinions or views. But being able to extend grace. Doesn't mean we have to compromise. It doesn't, doesn't mean we have to overlook or, or water down our beliefs. It doesn't mean that we have to minimize sin. But extending grace to one another to overcome our prejudices. Remember the story about Norman? So here's Norman in his holy jeans and, you know, weird t-shirt and long straggly hair and he's sitting down front. He's just doing his thing. And from the back of the church comes a, a 90-year-old man and he, he's got his cane. He's walking very slowly. He's a very well-dressed, very dignified man. He's been at the church for a very long time. He's, he's looked up to and respected as one of the leaders of this church. And he's slowly making his way up the center aisle to get to Norman. And everybody's looking at him. And everybody's making the assumption that, you know what, he's got to do what he's got to do. Right? He's going to go up and he's going to confront Norman about where he's sitting and what he's doing. And as that dignified elderly man gets up to the front, he puts his cane aside, and then he does something that shocks everyone. With a lot of pain, with a lot of difficulty, he gets down, he sits with Norman. You see, people in that church were prejudging Norman but they were prejudging him too, right? Because they were assuming that, 
oh, you know, he's this dignified, well-dressed old man. He's not going to have any grace for that, for that young man that, that, that smells and looks dirty and is acting differently than everyone else. And I don't know about you, but, but even as I first heard that story, I, there's some of my prejudice that came out because I was looking at those people and, and prejudging them for their judgment and saying, you know, oh man, it's terrible that those people would treat Norman that way. Do you see how the, the, the rabbit hole of prejudice can just turn into this tremendous cycle? Or how about the other story I shared? You know, it's one thing to talk about an incident at church, but how about, how about something at our home? How about this young couple that shows up at your community group? They look kind of Muslim. They've traveled a long way. They, they, they probably smell. They look very poor. They have a young child. And they show up at your door. By the way, do you know who I'm talking about? Their names are Mary and Joseph. And their child is Jesus. What if Jesus showed up today? He may not look like the white Jesus that we picture. He might not look like the, the really happy middle-class American Jesus that we picture. Extending grace to those that are different than us. To be able to have relationship with people for the ultimate purpose. Recognizing that we are all sinners saved by grace. We are all image bearers. We are all created by God. And he created us for a relationship with himself and with each other. And that relationship was broken because of sin. But yet God provided a way for that relationship to be restored. But we have to overcome our prejudice to be able to share that relationship with people that are different than us. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Our gracious God, it is, it's a challenge to, for us to recognize our pride, to recognize our fears, to overcome our preconceived ideas, to overcome our prejudice. But God, help us to see people through your eyes. Help us to view people the way you see them. God, we thank you for the fact that because of your son dying on the cross, shedding his perfect blood, that by us putting our faith and trust in your son Jesus, that you now see us through his perfection. You now see us through Jesus. God, help us to extend that same kind of grace to one another and to those outside of our church community that we might bring them to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.